The following message, entitled Rahab, a sinner to be saved, is part four of the series Courageous Faith and was given by Mark Altrogi on the 9th of August, 2015. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. All right, well, please turn to Joshua chapter 2, or if you don't have a Bible, we'll be projecting it in a few minutes. Um, We are in the book of Joshua, and I want to ask a question. This morning's message is entitled, A Sinner to be Saved. And the question is, why doesn't God strike us down the first time we sin? Have you ever thought about that? Why doesn't God strike us down the first time we sin against His perfect love and holiness? Why doesn't He strike us down after we sin again and again and again, sometimes for years? Why doesn't God pour out His judgment on this world or on this country? Because He is patient and long-suffering And He would rather save people than pour out His wrath on them. And so in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, we see the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise to return. People were saying, where is the Lord's return? Nothing's happening. It's been thousands of years. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise to return, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And this morning, we're going to see how God singles out one sinner and saves her and her family before executing judgment on the wicked. I want to give you a little background for this passage. After 40 years of wandering in the desert, Israel is now camped on the east side of the Jordan River and they are perched to go west to take the land of Canaan. They're getting ready to cross the Jordan, go in and take the land. God had promised them and told them to take the land. Now, this command of God's to take the land is a two-edged sword. First of all, one edge of the sword would be that God long ago and many times had promised to give the land of Canaan to the descendants of Abraham. He had promised over and over He's going to give them this land. Secondly, for them to go and to cast out the nations and defeat and destroy the nations was God's long-delayed judgment on the exceedingly wicked nations that dwelt there. Now, we have a hard time understanding. We have a hard time understanding how God could command Israel to go in and wipe out and kill these nations. But first of all, we, we have to understand how wicked they were, and how patient God had been. So, they had practiced abominable customs according to Leviticus 18.30. And they did detestable things 
according to Deuteronomy 18.9. They practiced idolatry. They practiced witchcraft. Witchcraft, soothsaying, sorcery. One, one source said their cultic practice entailed many of the most demoralizing practices of the time, including sensuous nudity, orgiastic nature worship, snake worship, and even child sacrifice. And Moses wrote that the inhabitants of Canaan would even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. But God is not ever quick to pour out judgment. He had endured the wickedness of these nations for 400 years. See, it says in Genesis 15, the Lord said to Abram initially, He says, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and be servants there. That's Egypt. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But, I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. And then verse 16, And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, the Amorites were so numerous and powerful a tribe in Canaan that they are sometimes named for the whole the whole nations, all the nations that were in Canaan. They were grouped under the Amorites. So, God had endured this exceeding wickedness of these nations for 400 years. Think about that. That is longer than our nation has existed. God was enduring. God was patient. God didn't pour out His wrath on them. God kept waiting for them to, to repent of their sins as they were sacrificing their children and burning their children to idols. But now, he says, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete, but now it is complete. Moses has died, and God has put Joshua in charge. And God told Joshua, be strong and courageous. Because... I promised Israel this land and because My presence will be with you. And as we heard last week, he said, Joshua, the key to your success is to meditate on My Word. Meditate on My law day and night and be careful to obey it. So that's the background. So then in the rest of chapter 1, which we're not going to go into, but here's what is happening. Joshua then, after God says, take the land, meditate on My Word, and obey it, Joshua says, okay everybody, get ready. In three days, we're going to cross the Jordan and take the land. And then there were three tribes who God gave land on the east side of the Jordan. And Joshua said, alright, you can have this land but you've got to send your warriors in first and help the rest of your brothers to take Canaan and then they can come back and live in the land. You can leave your children and, and families and livestock here, but the warriors have to go with us because we're going in to take the land. So that's where we are today. And God is about to pour out His wrath on the nations. And 
Joshua has no idea how God's going to do it. Joshua has no idea how they're going to take this first city. He doesn't know about that they're going to march around the city and blow their trumpets and shout and the walls are going to all fall down. Joshua has no idea that's going to happen. He just knows we've got to, we've got to go in there and we've got to fight. And so the first thing he does is he sends a couple spies and he's going to, he's going to, we're going to see that God had something in mind before the destruction would begin. God had a sinner to save. God had a sinner to save. And there's some really important truths in this passage for us to see. So let's pray and then we will read the passage. Lord, thank You for Your Word. We just pray, Lord, You'd open the eyes of our hearts to see wonderful things in Your Word. I pray, Lord, Your Word would build us up and give us faith. I pray that Your Word would have a, its powerful work in our lives. I pray, Lord, that Your Word would give us hope for, for the lost that we're praying for. I pray, Lord, that Your Word would even give faith, saving faith to people here who have never turned to You this morning. We ask for Your Word to do powerful things in our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, before we read this, we're going to see this morning that the God of grace seeks and saves the lost. That's the big idea. The God of grace seeks and saves the lost. And this morning we're going to see God's grace. We're going to see the faith of Rahab, who is this sinner. We're going to see God's sign and God's purpose. So let's read, I'm going to read Joshua 2. It's 24 verses. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the man came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, He is God in the heavens above 
and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them and they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also, all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Well, first of all, what we want to see in this passage is God's grace. Grace is God's unmerited, undeserved kindness and favor towards sinners. And so it starts off, And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Now Joshua and Israel are planning to attack Jericho in three days. But he still sends two men to spy out the land. Because he doesn't know what's going to happen. He, like I said, he doesn't know that they're going to shout and the walls will fall down. So he's saying, he probably says, go find the best place to attack the city. See if there's any weak spots. And the gates of the city are open. And so they walk right into the city. And it was probably a huge city. Probably hundreds at least or thousands of people. I mean, it would have taken, it would have taken probably thousands of people to build these walls. The, gate, the, the walls are so deep that people's homes are built into the walls. Rahab's home is in the city wall. These walls are deep and thick. And later, the spies tell Rahab not to let any of her family go into the street outside her house. So she comes out of the wall and there's a street. There's probably streets all through the center of the city of Jericho, surrounded by these huge walls. 
And they're probably looking around and there's just thousands of people. There's probably marketplaces in the center. I, I, we have no idea historically exactly what it was like. But it was probably huge because they had a king. The king probably had a palace he was living in. So they come into this city they've never been in before. And out of all the places they could go, out of all the thousands of people that, that were here, God directs them to one person. In His sovereign grace, God directs him to the house of a sinner. A prostitute. God chose her. God led them to her. Specifically. They didn't just accidentally find her. It was, not, it was God's purpose to save out of all of the wicked inhabitants in that city, God had chosen to save one person. Why? I, I don't know. God's, God's sovereign will is unsearchable. Why did God save us? Why did so many of us respond to Jesus and our family members and friends reject Him? I, had so, I have many friends who heard the same good news about Jesus I heard. Why did God open my heart? Was it because we're better? Or we were, we were less sinful? Or we were smarter? No! Simply because God chose us. Ephesians 1, 4-6 says, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, which we just can't fathom to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. A.W. Pink, Bible scholar, commentator, and teacher says, by her choice, she was given up to the vilest of sins. But by the divine choice, she was predestined to be delivered from the miry pit and washed whiter than snow by the precious blood of Christ and given a place in His own family. And so this, this is the grace of God. This is the sheer, undeserved, unmerited grace of God. And so Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved. It is by the kindness and mercy of God. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. This salvation is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works. Not by anything we've done. Not by your good life. Not by good deeds you've done. Not by any of that. It's by the grace of God. And if you know Jesus, it's because God chose you for salvation before the beginning of the world. It has nothing to do with your worthiness. The Bible says we were all sinners. God chose to save Rahab, a prostitute. She may have been a cult, a religious cult prostitute, I read. We don't know that for sure. But she was a wicked woman. She may, she may have desecrated herself in idol worship. But for some reason, God chose her. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29. I love this passage. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise 
according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. And listen to this. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Do you feel like you feel weak? Do you ever feel like, man, what a loser I am? Do you ever feel like, man, I, I am I am the lowliest person? Well, you're probably right. <laughs> God chose the weak. I've said many times over the years to to Christy, my wife, what a loser I am. And she never disagrees for some reason. (laughs) God chooses to save the weak. God chooses to save prostitutes, drug addicts, losers, weaklings, porn addicts. Proud, arrogant people who think they're great. Every kind of sinner. Jesus welcomed prostitutes and tax collectors who were the despised because they cheated people. They ripped people off. They made up taxes on the spot and charged people. People hated the tax collectors. And Jesus welcomed them. Boy, what a, what a word that is for us. We, we should always welcome every person to this church. There is no one who would not be welcome to come to this church on a Sunday morning or any time. We want to always welcome. We don't want to look down on anyone. We want to welcome the worst of sinners. This is good news. Don't think you're too bad for Jesus to save. If, if you've not called on the Lord, don't think, well, God could never forgive me. Mark, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what sins I've committed. It doesn't matter. Jesus died on the cross for the worst of sins. Even the most horrible sins you can imagine, Jesus' blood can wash you clean. And so God sovereignly directed these spies to Rahab. Jesus seeks the lost. Jesus, Jesus came to the earth to seek the lost. When He was on earth, He made a special trip through Samaria where the Jews would never go because there was one woman in the town of Samaria as well as many others in that that town. But there was one woman at the well in Samaria that Jesus had gone there to seek and save. Many years later, Jesus passed through Jericho, the same city that Israel conquered It was still around many years later. And Jesus was passing through Jericho and He says to Zacchaeus, this short little tax collector who was a chief tax collector, so he would have been especially despised. He's up in a tree trying to get a view of Jesus. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And then a few verses later, just a few verses later, Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. See, this is the kind of God we have. He seeks out the lost. As a shepherd, Ezekiel 34 says, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep 
and I will rescue them from all places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Jesus sought you out. Jesus sought me out. I remember, I remember many years ago, I was sitting in the hub at the student union, me and a buddy of mine. I was not a Christian at all. And, a, and another guy, a young man, comes up and he gave us each a tract about Jesus, a little pamphlet about Jesus. I remember looking up at him and he was kind of a hippie type guy. Of course, I was too. And he, had to, and he just smiled at me and he gave this gave me this pamphlet about Jesus. Jesus was seeking me out. Later, later I was living in Philadelphia and I was dating a young lady who was uh, an airline stewardess. And one day she called me and said, hey, guess what happened? I met this guy on a plane. He was wearing a t-shirt with a picture of Jesus on it. And I, I said to him, don't you think that's kind of disrespectful to wear a t-shirt with a picture of Jesus on it? And he started telling me all about Jesus. And she starts talking about Jesus. And I say, yeah, 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 I've heard, I, I go to church, I, and, and I wasn't interested, I moved back home from Philadelphia, broke, out of money, discouraged, living in my parents' house again, for like the 30th time in my life. One day, this girl is visiting me, we open up the Indiana Gazette, and she says, here's the guy I met on the plane, he's speaking out in Brush Valley, we got to go hear him, and I thought, okay, alright, we go out there. And this guy is unlike anybody I've ever heard. He's talking about Jesus like he's real. And afterwards, she says to me, Mark, come on up and meet this guy. Drags me up. My mom and dad were there. Drag me up. He meets me. He says, Mark, have you ever asked Jesus into your heart? I said, well, I guess so. I go to, go to church. I go to Mass every Sunday. No, have you ever personally asked Jesus into my heart, into your heart? And so he led me in this prayer. And there were several days after he was speaking, and I kept going back to these meetings. And at one of these meetings, there was a young man and his wife, and they were playing these songs beforehand. And guess who the young man was? The guy who gave me the pamphlet in the student union. He's leading worship. And they say, we want to sing a song about how once when man committed sins, Jesus said to the Father, I will seek that which was lost. And so they had a song, and, and the main phrase was, I will seek that which was lost. And I remembered that phrase, and, and many years, no, just a few years later, I, uh, I, I tried to write, I wrote a song called I'm Forever Grateful, where it says, you, I'm so grateful that you came to seek and save the lost, because that affected my life so much that God had sought me out. It wasn't like I was looking for God. He sought me out. He came seeking me. God sought Rahab. Some of you here today know God's been seeking you. Things have been happening in your life and you say That's not a, that can't be a coincidence. Well, it's Jesus. He's seeking you. He's drawing you. Well, let's move on. We want to look at Rahab's faith. First of all, Rahab heard. Rahab heard about God. She says in verse 10, We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And then verse 11, As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. See, we have to hear the good news of Jesus to believe it. Nobody comes to believe in Jesus without hearing about Him. Romans 10.17 says, So faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the Word of Christ. 
And so the more you hear about Jesus, the more your faith will grow. The more opportunities we have, let's pray regularly. Lord, give me opportunities to tell people about Jesus. Before I, like I said, when I was in, back in college, before I moved to Philadelphia, someone told me, Mark, get a New Testament and read it. Start reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just read it every day, 15 minutes. And if you can, do what it says. So I got this. I went into the student union and I bought this paperback Bible. Anybody remember this? Good news for modern man. A few of us old guys remember that. Good news for modern man. Paperback Bible. And I started reading it in, in my cockroach infested apartment in Philadelphia. And I started reading about Jesus. And when you hear about Jesus, your faith grows. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the Word of Christ. I was reading the Word of Christ. If, if you don't know much about Jesus, if you're, if you're interested in this, uh, in finding out more what He may have for your life, start to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'd especially recommend starting with John, but read any of the four Gospels. Read Mark. It's only 16 chapters. Shortest one. She heard. And somehow God gave her faith. She believed. Because in verse 11 she says, As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There is no spirit left in any man because of you. Now here's what she believed. Look at this. She says, For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. See, we have to believe accurately about who God is, who Jesus is, which is why it's so important to read the New Testament and to read the Gospels. And she became, her faith was just seed form. It was brand new, but it was genuine. It was real. She genuinely believed that this God was the God of heaven and earth. And so she had new life. She was believing and and her faith in God led her to welcome the spies. And to, to do what she did. And so Hebrews 11.31 says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So her faith led her to believe and led her to take action. And if you believe in Jesus, you should take action in your life. If you believe in God, you should change your life. You should repent of sin. You should seek to bear good fruit. And so she believed in God and so she begins to take action. She welcomes these spies. She genuinely feared the Lord and she was willing to risk her life because of what she believed to be true. And so she risks her life because the king finds out that she has received these guys, and he sends to her and he says, bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house. For they've come to search out the land. But she said, well, they came to me, but I didn't know where they were from. And so when the gate was about to be closed at dark, they went out. Now some people have struggled with the fact that Rahab lied to the king. But you know what? She was doing this in faith. She was risking her life now to obey the living God. And just as the Jewish, when the Jewish leaders forbid Peter and the apostles to preach Jesus, they replied, we must obey God rather than men. 
And this reminds me of Corrie ten Boom, who in Nazi Germany, Corrie ten Boom was a believer and her family disobeyed the government and hid Jews to protect them. And that's essentially what Rahab is doing. She is obeying God rather than men. And that's what living faith will do. That's what a genuine faith in Jesus will do. We must obey God rather than men. We must obey Jesus. Living faith will produce that in our lives. And so, when we believe in Jesus, we we can't care what other people think. I remember again when I first became a Christian back in the 70s, People made fun of me. They, did, they didn't understand me. And I, I probably did things worthy of being made fun of. But I, I, had been, I was an art major at IUP. I was uh, particularly uh, a painting major. And I painted a number of paintings that I felt like uh, I should destroy because I didn't think they glorified God. So I became a Christian had all these paintings, some of them like four by eight feet, four by six feet, large paintings, and I burned them. And then I moved into this farmhouse with Tim McKelvey and a couple other guys who had recently become Christians. And I heard people say that, yeah, Mark Altrogi, he became a Jesus freak and he burned a bunch of his paintings and he moved into a house with a bunch of other Jesus freaks. <laughs> but I, I had to obey Jesus. I had to obey Jesus. I had to do what He said. Jesus told His disciples in Matthew 16, if anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. And that's, that's what Rahab did. And Rahab hoped only in the mercy of God for salvation. And so we, you see her saying, now then, please swear to Me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my Father's house. Now she was, she was thinking of temporal salvation, rescue from death from her family, but she, her hope was in the Lord and these guys, their relationship with the Lord. She wasn't hoping in anything else. She knew very little about the Lord, but she was hoping for kindness from God. And she says that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Swear to me by the Lord. The point is, is our only hope for salvation is the Lord. God loves to save people. Ezekiel 33.11 says, Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn! Turn from your evil ways! Why will you die, people of Israel? And then 1 Timothy 2.3-4 and 4 says, This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants to save people. So if you're here and, you, and, and you're thinking, well, does God want to save me? Yes! Even if you've done horrible things. And God gives her a sign. And the men say, say to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. 
And in verse 19, he says, essentially, that if anyone goes... Well, no, that's not what I meant to say. You shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brother, brothers and all your father's household. So all would be gathered in the house. And he's saying that when the soldiers of Israel come in and they see that scarlet cord hanging down, they will save that family. That's, that's a picture of the blood of Christ that delivers us from the wrath of God. It's, a, it's, it's also a picture of the Passover lamb, which was a picture of the blood of Christ. In, in, in the book of Exodus, God says, Tell all the congregation of Israel, on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, and when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. And in verse 7, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. The blood, verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Passover comes from when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Same picture that we have with the scarlet cord. When the armies of Israel are coming in, delivering the wrath of God upon the inhabitants of Jericho. When the wrath of God is coming upon Jericho, when they see the scarlet cord, when I see the blood on the doorposts, and in our lives, it is the blood of Jesus that delivers us from the wrath of God. And so in Matthew 26-28, Jesus says, this is My blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Numerous verses in the New Testament. Revelation 1.5 and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood. The blood of Jesus. When we come to Jesus, when we put all our faith in Him, all our hope in Him, all our trust in Him, He washes us with His blood. As we sang this morning, as we sang in that song, all my hope is in Your blood. When we come before Jesus, He doesn't, the Father does not look at us with all our sins and all our failures. The Father looks upon us and He sees the blood of Jesus. And He says, they are righteous. I declare them righteous because the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Scarlet cord, the blood of the Passover lamb. When I see the blood, I'll pass over. And I won't pour out my wrath. When God sees the blood of Jesus on us, He passes over and doesn't pour out His wrath on us. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? Every Sunday morning as we're standing here worshiping, God accepts us because of our great mediator, Jesus Christ, and His blood. Not because we've lived a great week. Because most of us haven't. 
Well, finally, what we see, and especially what we see later, is that God had a purpose for Rahab. He rescued her from destruction. She did not perish with the rest of her people. And then in Joshua chapter 6, 25, she actually became a citizen of Israel. She became a part of God's people. That looked forward. That was, that was looking forward to the Gentiles being grafted into God's people. And later, she became the honored wife of a prince in Judah. And she was the mother of a man named Boaz. And she became one of the grandmothers of David. It says in Matthew 1, verse 5, she was one of David's grandmothers. And she was an ancestress of Jesus. God did exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that she asked or thought. Not only did He save her life and rescue her, but He gave her honor and dignity and this incredible place in history as an ancestress of Jesus. She could have had no idea. Here's this prostitute. And Jesus does that. I read about I read about a man who was a British government official in the 1800s, and somebody gave him a huge sum of money to give to a poor pastor, and he didn't think it was a good idea to send all that money all at once. So he forwarded a portion along with a note that said, "More to follow." And then in a few days later, the pastor received another envelope containing the same amount with the same message, more to follow. And at regular intervals, there came a third and a fourth, and, and they kept on coming, more to follow, more to follow, and, until he had the whole entire amount. And, and the, the great pastor and preacher, Charles Spurgeon, used this story, and he said this, he says, when God forgives our sins, there's more forgiveness to follow. He justifies us in the righteousness of Christ, but there's more to follow. He adopts us into His family, but there's more to follow. He prepares us for heaven, but there's more to follow. He gives us grace, but there's more to follow. He helps us to old age, but there's still more to follow. And then He concluded, even when we arrive in the world to come, there will still be more to follow. I, I would, when I, when I was in my 20s and I went to that meeting in Brush Valley and I was dragged up to the front to be forced to say a prayer to receive Jesus, I, I did want Jesus to save me. I had no idea what that even meant. Little did I know there was more to follow. Little did I know all of the friends... God would give me. Little did I know all the things God would do in my life. I wasn't married at the time. Little did I know about the wonderful wife God would give me. Little did I know about the children God would give me. Little did I know about opportunities I'd have to serve God. I, we have no idea. And as I was thinking about this, I was just thinking, there, every one of us here, we have no idea the plans God has for us. 
the purposes God has for us any more than Rahab did. God has great plans and great things in store for you. And I'm not just saying this. Psalm 138.8 says, The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. God has a purpose for you. There's more to follow. And you have no idea. You may, you may share the Lord with somebody. You may get an opportunity to share a, a Bible verse with somebody or pray with somebody this week who might turn out to be the next Billy Graham. One of the kids in our children's ministry in Kids Cove could, could turn out to be the next Charles Spurgeon. You have no idea. We have no idea the wonderful purposes of God. What a God we serve. He seeks us out by grace. He gives us faith to believe in Him and follow Him. And He has incredible purposes for us. Let's stand and let's pray. Lord, we just uh, cannot even fathom Your greatness. We know that nothing happens by accident. And if we're here today, it's because You have brought us here. And You are seeking us out. And You still seek us out. Lord, we just pray You would help many today to believe in You and call upon You and trust in You and begin to follow You wholeheartedly. Lord, we pray for our children and pray for our grandchildren. We pray for all the children in Kids Cove that every single one of them, You would save every single one and do great things in their lives, Lord. We just thank You for what a wonderful, gracious God You are. That You would take a prostitute and make her one of Jesus' ancestresses. Lord, what a great God You are. We just praise You, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.